It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Dear friend, I am so glad that you've made the choice to join It Is Written today. There's no doubt in my mind that you will be inspired by the things that you hear today. You know, a true seeker asks questions, lots and lots of questions. But in order to seek, it means that eventually we'll find, and that means we must get the answers to those questions. We've been in the midst of a series beyond questions, seeking to find an answer. Today, I am so glad to continue this series of programs with John Bradshaw, Speaker Director of It Is Written International, International Evangelist, has just recently come from Malaysia. So glad to have you here today, John. Good to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. This is, this is good. You know, our two ministries are rooted it is not uh, by accident that they have the same name. 30 years ago, George Vandeman, Henry Fire Robin came together and said, how do we have a program that shares the love of Jesus, the truth of God's word with the Canadian audience? And thus was born It Is Written Canada, two organizations that are rooted in the same principle, run independent of one another, one and each have the same goal of sharing Jesus. I'm so glad that you've taken the time to be up here with us. Me too. It's an honor to be here because I know what It Is Written Canada stands for and what you do and you're seeking to present the Bible and to, to guide people to, to, to Jesus Christ. You know, it'd be easy for us to do as, as ministers and preachers and whatnot is tell people what to think. Even though we, we'll share ideas, our role isn't to tell people what to think, but to encourage people to think and find answers. That's right. I believe the Holy Spirit that guides, guides, has guided and guides you, guides me and guides somebody else, and can guide that person to exact each of us to the place God wants us to be. So we'll share some things today that I pray God will use to guide people in their journey to where God wants them to be. That's right. And we've been in the we are now in the midst of our series Beyond Questions. We, we're gonna go beyond the questions and actually look to God's Word to provide answers. And, and we've kind of traced a course here where we've looked at your personal story, where we see and we, where we answered the question, what is God's, what is the real meaning of life? And what we find is that God has a purpose. God has a purpose for every person and we need to find that purpose in His Word. And then we ask the question, what are the odds? What are the odds that this book truly is what it says it is? And we found that God's book is reliable and authentic through prophecy. Now we want to continue along that subject of prophecy today, John. John, why is prophecy so important? Here's a couple of reasons. For one, what prophecy does is it enables us to see that the God in heaven knows the future. Now that doesn't make God a cosmic clairvoyant, mm -hmm. but if He knows what's going to happen before it begins, it helps us to understand that God sees in ways we can't see. There is a certain supernatural element to this God. Mm -hmm. See, nobody else can do that. I don't know of another religious figure, I shall not name any, but I don't know of another religious figure 
a, a leader of a, one of the great world religions who could ever foretell the future. God claims to be able to do that, and he demonstrates that he can. If, if you don't mind, I'll look in a verse in the Bible here. That's right. And while you're going to that verse, John, not only does he foretell the future, but he foretells the future with 100% accuracy. That's right. Anybody could have a guess. The tabloids uh, make their predictions every year. Yes. They don't come true. But what God says never fails. He said in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. See, God knows that we want reasons to trust Him. That's right. Nobody wants to believe blindly and say, well, the preacher, the teacher, my daddy said, we need to be able to have an intelligent faith in God. And when you see, for instance, we've talked together about Daniel chapter 2. That's right. Hundreds of years ahead of time, God uh, predicting the rise and fall of kingdoms. Now, someone's going to say, oh, that's chicanery. Oh, you can't trust the Bible. That's a human invention. Those arguments are age old and they're not true. That's right. There's, there's no evidence anywhere that suggests the Bible was written after the fact. Daniel 2 was an invention after the fact. Jesus believed the prophet Daniel. Yes. He, he quoted Daniel. That's right. That's um, right. God uses prophecy to say, you can trust me. You can trust me. And, the, you know, the amazing thing is, is because some people will go as far that Daniel wrote these things afterwards. And some people try to say, because most most scholars, many scholars, I should say, believe that Daniel was written sometime in the 6th century B.C. But some critical scholars, to try to avoid this, how did Daniel really know, bump his book all the way to the 3rd century B.C. However, here's the important thing to remember. Even if Daniel's book exactly. was written in the 2nd century B.C., or the 3rd century B.C., exactly. he's predicting things that happen well after that. And so, we have in Isaiah 46, God making this declaration of an age-old question that many ask. Does God really exist? And God makes a statement, I am God and there is none other. Which is, I mean, when you make a statement such as this, there is not a way to get around that. That is a bold statement of fact. I am God and there is no other. And then the reason he gives is, is this declaring the end from the beginning. God knows the end from the beginning. And throughout the Bible, he declares that end from the beginning to demonstrate to us a people who are seeking that he is God and he can be trusted. Yeah, who are you going to trust? Most everybody wants to trust somebody. Um, God says you can believe in God not just because to do so puts you in a, in, a, in a group of moralish people, not to do so is going to have your kids raised around good values. No, no, no. You can trust me and know that I, I hold the world in my hands. That's right. I hold you in my hands. I can transform your life. I can promise you eternal life. And you can be my friend. You can know me. You know, the Bible makes this amazing statement. It says, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. That's right. People try to get their thrills in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. They try to get their thrills in the bar. They try to get their, 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 their joy from 
myriad places, you know, whether it's the Stanley Cup or the Grey Cup or, 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 or the Tea Cup. People are trying to get their joy <laughs> from right. some place. That's right. And, and not that God's against some of all of that, but He's saying fullness of joy, if you really want to be happy, you get to know me. You can live without guilt. You can live with purpose. You can live with meaning. You can live with, 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 with purity. And it's fun too. And you know, this is the amazing thing, and I'm so glad that you've, that you've pointed us in this direction, John, because one of the things that I try to get across in my Bible teaching, so many Bible preachers out there present a God who's in heaven waiting, watching, so He can get us when we make our first mistake. Can you imagine? But the Bible presents a God of love who desires this friendship, as you said, who desires communion and in fact, along with this idea of prophecy, in Amos 3.7, God makes this amazing promise. And he says in Amos 3.7, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. This is a phenomenal promise because God's not trying to withhold from us. God is trying to give us everything to put us on a trajectory of coming to know Him and living a life that is, is abundant with joy and peace. If God was really looking to get us, He'd have got us long ago. <laughs> That's right. Because we all deserve it. That's you know? right. That's he, would, right. he would have said, ah, oh, the world is a mess. He would just scrumple it up and throw it in the trash and start again or not start again. Call it a failed experiment or, or, or something. Adam and Eve sinned, you know. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. He, he clothed them with skins. Animals had to die. He said, the Messiah will come through that object lesson and through his verbal promise. There will come a Messiah. Yeah. He will give you a chance at life again. Imagine that. Just stop and think about this. Adam and Eve sinned. That's right. Beforehand, God had determined that he would save them should sin enter into the world. That's right. But he knew what it would cost. It would cost the life of his son. Now, God didn't reconsider. I have a son. I'm not about to give him up for anything. Now, there, the, I kid around and say there are days I'd give him away for him. I'd pay you to take him. But, you know, I, that's, that's a joke I, I don't make very often. I, imagine saying, I'll give my son if. Now, honestly, you could imagine giving, giving a family member, pardon me for even going here, for some worthy cause to save Canada. Chris, You've got to die. Yeah. And you might say, well, if it's for all of Canada, I might do that. That's right. Jesus died for a bunch of scoundrels and, 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 and rascals. You know, he died for the offscouring of the earth. God gave Jesus to die knowing that when Jesus would come to the earth, people would spit on him and nail him to a cross. That's right. He gave him to an ungrateful world. What does this say about God? God is, is good. And he communicates that through prophecy. In fact, I'll share another verse. Please. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place. So, so observe prophecy as though you'd follow a light in the dark. That's right. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. This day star is Jesus. That's prophecy right. is given so that we'll see Christ. It's not just so, oh, there's another marker we can check, another date has occurred or another prediction has been fulfilled, as important as those are. That's right. But through all of that, so that we can see and know Jesus, who is the light of the world. 
That's right. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Prophecy helps us to see that. And so it's amazing. So we, we've got this fundamental principle, principles of the purpose of prophecy. First, prophecy helps us to understand God is real. Mm -hmm. We don't have to wonder if we're alone in the universe, if we were here by chance or accident. No, there is a loving God who created this earth, and he's going to demonstrate that to us through prophecy. So that prophecy helps us to know we, have a, we serve a loving God. Secondly, we've learned this principle that God is not withholding anything. In fact, he reveals things to his prophets so we might know what's going to take place so we can be prepared. And then thirdly, and I'll say most importantly, prophecy is revealed to us that we might see the day star, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, the one who came to take sin away and lead us all the way home to heaven. And God doesn't owe us any of that. No. He doesn't owe us any of that. Surely the Lord will do nothing except he reveals the secrets to his servants and prophets. A flood's going to come to the world. He raises up Noah, tells everybody. That's right. Jesus is coming to the world. He raises up John the Baptist and, and alerts people. That's right. Christ is coming back again. The prophets wrote about the second coming of Jesus. That's he doesn't right. have to do that for us. No, he does not. And, and it's tragic to me that there is so much cynicism and skepticism about God generated by people who have a, a misconception of what God's character is actually like. When this God is a good God, he wants to do everything he can to bless our future. You know, it's an amazing thing. John, last week, we shared from Daniel chapter 2. And in Daniel chapter 2, we are, giving this, we are given this foundational prophecy that all of the book of Daniel and really all of the book of Revelation is built upon. But in Hebrew thinking, in Eastern thinking, which is very difficult for our Western minds to understand, Hebrew thinking has this idea of what the big word is recapitulation. A simple way to understand that is repeat and enlarge. And so what we see in some of the prophecies, and we see it in Daniel 2, is it's this broad stroke where not a lot of details are. But then God comes and he gives us greater detail to demonstrate that the future truly is in his hands. And so I would suggest that maybe we turn to Daniel chapter 7 to look at another <coughs> prophecy to see how does this prophecy reveal that God is who he says he is? How does this prophecy reveal to us that God is opening the books before us so we might know the path? And how does this prophecy show us Jesus. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel chapter 7, and again, we, we, we could spend a lot of time on the history of how we get here. It's the first year of Belshazzar. It's still the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel is still serving in Babylon. And this time the king's not given a dream, but rather Daniel is given a dream. And Daniel's not given a dream of images, but rather he's given a dream of these animals that are a little awkward looking. John, there in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 2, maybe share with us, what's this dream that Daniel receives? Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, this is verse 2, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse or different from one another. Shall I go on and read about these things? Let's, let's, let's hear. And, and as we read about these beasts, I think our, our, our viewing audience is going to be quite uh, in, 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 in very enamored with these beasts because these aren't the type of beasts that we would see at the zoo. 
No. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld until the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. So that's the first one. And this first beast, and we read later where Daniel actually tells us about this first beast. And again, we go back to this idea of Hebrew thinking, of repeating and enlarging. What we are going to see here with these four beasts is that these four beasts are actually identical to the metals of Daniel chapter 2. And so this first beast, this lion, is a representation of the kingdom of Babylon. That's, that's right. And we could talk a little bit about that, but John, maybe share just a little. How do we really know that, that, that this symbol fitly represents Babylon? I'll tell you one really interesting thing. Archaeologists went into old Babylon. This is, I, I hope I'm answering your question. And I, I have not, I've, I've been to Berlin, but I haven't been to that museum. I uh, was recently at the British Museum in London. They had recreations yes, of this. Yes. They brought out of Babylon and reconstructed the, 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 the masonry or the reliefs, the, what, what was depicted on the walls there in Babylon. The symbol was a lion with eagle's wings. This was a symbol of Babylon. Yes. And God used a contemporary symbol of Babylon to describe Babylon. And, and that would have spoken to the Babylonians then, or that mind, the mind of that time, and it speaks to us today to say, yeah, this really is Babylon. Funny enough, I've been to Babylon, Babylon, New York. It's a, <laughs> it's a town in Long Island, New York, a little beachside town or an oceanside town. And you go to the marina there. It's a great big tall concrete pillar. And on the top of it, a lion with eagle's wings. That is yeah, fascinating. This is the symbol of Babylon. Now, the skeptic could say, okay, Daniel lived in Babylon. He saw these, these lions with eagle's wings. He could have easily wrote that. But Daniel doesn't stop there. He goes on, and there is a second beast in verse 5. And the Bible says that I saw another beast, a second, like a bear. And it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to thus to it, Arise, devour must flesh. This is an odd-looking bear. It's humped up on one side, three ribs in the mouth. What kingdom does this represent, John? Well, if the first kingdom represented Babylon, the second kingdom must represent Medo-Persia. And when, when we get down to the third and especially the fourth kingdom, we see how, how clearly that fits and holds. Yes. Uh, that kingdom was, we often refer to that as the Persian That's right. kingdom or empire, but That's it was right. the Medes and the Persians brought together. That's right. And one was more powerful than the other, so it's raised up on one side. Yes. On its way to power, it conquered three different nations three ribs in its mouth. If you saw a bear in the woods and it had three ribs in its mouth, you would know it's just devoured something. That's right. And this is the symbol that Daniel saw, was given to him by God. Here's that second kingdom, Medo-Persia, on its way to power, conquered three nations, uh, don't stand too close. And, that, and the amazing thing is, especially for the skeptic, actually when the Medo-Persians join together, the Medes are stronger than the Persians. Right. But then, and, and most history books just simply speak of the Persian Empire because the Persians grow much stronger. There's no way Daniel would have known that. But he writes this predictive prophecy, helping us see. There's a third and a fourth beast. Let's read about that third beast in verse 6. John, why don't you read that? After this I beheld, and, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon its back four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, 
and dominion was given to it. This is interesting, isn't it? It's more Jurassic Park than, yeah, than, that's right. than the Toronto Zoo. Four wings, four heads. Very interesting. Wings are usually a symbol of speed, and this animal has four wings. No doubt this kingdom, this beast represents Greece. These four wings depicting the rapid nature by which Greece conquers the world. But it's got four heads. Four heads, a representation of the fact that Greece would be divided. Alexander the Great dies, and in his famous words, when they ask who will inherit the kingdom, he says, whoever is strongest. Yeah. And these four generals divide Greece. And then we go to this last beast, which the Bible describes as indescribable. No doubt, it has these iron teeth, and, and, and it is this kingdom of Rome. But the Bible doesn't stop there, John, and this is where I want us to, as, we're, as our time is winding down, I want us to hone in on that end of the prophecy. We've got the same things from Daniel 2, but does it end there with God's people because we have this little horn that appears and we don't have time to talk about it, but this little horn does t terrible thing against the saints. Are God's people just left in distress or does God have something of promise that the day star might arise in us, that we might see the day star arise and give us hope out of this prophecy. Immediately after the prophecies of those four beasts, we're given something that's a little awesome and a whole lot hopeful. Daniel wrote, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was like a fiery flame, his wheels as burning fire. Imagine mm -hmm. that. Uh, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Uh. Now, now you can, and I think many have done this perhaps in the past, you could look at judgment and say, oh, oh it's a judgment time and I need to cower in the corner because here comes the judge. That's not the picture. No. In the judgment, Jesus is our, the Bible describes him as our advocate. That's right. Paul described him as our mediator. The book of Hebrews says he is in heaven now for us. Yes. Now, that doesn't give anyone a free pass. That's right. Um, we are sinners, the Bible says, and the wages of sin is death. That's right. We deserve the death penalty, every last one of That's us. That's right. However, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our That's Lord. Right. Jesus is the lifeline. Jesus is the, I don't want to trivialize him here. Jesus is, he took our place. That's he right. says, I'll go, you go free, I'll take the death penalty for you. This is the most remarkable transaction in all of human history. Judgment isn't, can I find something wrong that you have done? If that's all it was, let's forget about it. That's right, it's but over. Ju judgment is, when I look at your life, Chris, do I see that you've accepted Jesus or not? Yes. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ, then the judgment is great news for you. It's very good news. So this prophecy points us to Jesus in the most powerful way. And that, unfortunately, our time is up, but is the most powerful statement we can make. We ask this question, what does the future hold? God reveals through his prophets that our future is in the hands of Jesus who loves us and is doing everything he can on his strength to make sure that we go to heaven with him. And while the judgment is set, he is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Amen. John, let's pray together as we end today. 
Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that your son Jesus is for us. We're thankful he's coming soon to take us home. And we're thankful that you have revealed in prophecy a clear path to him. Please be with us and let us keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been focusing on the New START acronym, that's N-E-W-S-T-A-R-T, and today we're looking at R for rest. Are you tired of being tired? If you're like me, 24 hours is just not enough for one day. If I could purchase extra bonus hours, believe me, I would. But God in His great wisdom knew that 24 hours would be all we could handle. How much sleep are you getting each night? Research shows that seven to eight hours is ideal for most people. And the old saying, early to bed, early to rise, makes a person healthy, wealthy, and wise, appears to be so true. Studies indicate that getting to sleep a few hours before midnight is quite important to the restorative growth and repair our bodies undertake while we're sleeping. Furthermore, Research shows that a chronic lack of sleep can be very serious, resulting in a depressed immune system, which in turn results in you being more prone to illness and depression. Many people have trouble sleeping though. If you're one of them, here are some proven ideas for you to try. First, finish eating your last meal and also drinking any fluids at least two hours before you go to bed. Next, go to bed at the same time each evening and get all the clutter out of your bedroom and make it a serene place to unwind. Also, be sure to sleep in complete darkness and get adequate amounts of sunshine during the day. Also, exercise regularly. Researchers at the Stanford University School of Medicine studied 43 women and men aged 50 to 76 who led a sedentary lifestyle and who were experiencing trouble sleeping. After 16 weeks of 30 to 40 minutes of low-impact aerobics or brisk walking four times a week, the group that exercised was able to increase their sleeping hours by almost an hour. Next, eat foods that are high in melatonin. Melatonin is a hormone that is produced naturally by our bodies that, amongst other things, acts as a natural sleep aid. Foods high in melatonin include corn, oats, brown rice, tomatoes, and bananas. And last, but certainly not least, give God any worries you may have. And Psalm 127 verse 2 tells us that He will grant sleep to those He loves. Also, Psalm 121 verse 4 tells us that God never sleeps and He never slumbers, so we can rest assured that He's keeping a careful and loving watch over us. I love that. If you want additional information on getting a good night's sleep, visit pcrm.org and you'll find links to great resources. I hope you sleep well tonight. See you next time. Prophecy demonstrates that Jesus loves us and wants a relationship with us. Friend, if you want to learn more about prophecy and specifically about the relationship with Jesus, 
want to offer you the Focus on Prophecy lessons. Here's the information you need. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L18-7B4. John, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us the love of Jesus. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Friend, I hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you.